50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hi, Jewel. Hi, Em. This was quite the episode. Oh my God, I forgot how traumatic this was to watch. Yeah, this was not for the faint of heart. It's Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, season two, episode eight. And this was the episode with the infamous scene where Scott punches the mirror. But I got to tell you, that was not even the worst of it. Like I would go as far as to say is that was one of the least intense moments of the entire thing. I think what surrounded it was what really got me. All of it was just bad. I actually have to tell you that I felt somewhat guilty watching it with everything that's been swirling around about you know, just thinking about where Scott is mentally right now with Courtney's engagement. I was like, oh, we are literally watching the lowest point of his life while he's possibly in another one of the lowest points of his life. I had that same thought of just the irony of the timing that we happened to come to this episode. It really is. Okay. So let's get into it because basically this episode starts out with Courtney coming to the realization that Scott has been using his job at the club as an excuse to kind of go out. And I know for all of us, and especially for Kim, this has been really obvious, but Courtney has been in full denial. She really wanted to believe that he was using this as a way to grow his business. And it got to the point where she was confronted with a reality that she just couldn't deny any longer. Right. That's exactly what happened. She was really happy being able to deny what was right in front of her because also she was really happy with the way that Scott was stepping up as a dad in kind of a way that I don't know that she was necessarily expecting. And especially in the beginning, as they settled more into Miami and he got more involved in the club life and what this supposed quote job was, his responsibilities as a father also started to slip. So once she was really confronted with the truth of what was happening and the frustration of like, instead of hanging out with your son, you're in bed every single day, day after day. She had no choice but to be able to acknowledge that. Totally. And you know, this is kind of a a side note, but just something I was thinking, you know, by now it's been what, 12 years since this episode came out. So I don't imagine that this is the case, but I wonder if after Scott went through this kind of dark time and, you know, he worked through it, if going back to Miami was at all triggering for him, not in the sense of it being a source of temptation that I could totally see just because I think a lot of people feel that way about Miami, especially someone as well-connected as Scott. But I more so mean just remembering 
the trauma of some of the memories that took place there. You know, I'm not sure if he ever said it about Miami, but I believe there is a later episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians where, you know, Courtney and Scott aren't together anymore and he's in a much better place. And he's talking about just how much he loves spending time with the kids and how there's no one else, no friend, nobody that he would rather be spending time with because his kids are truly his best friend. And he kind of makes a comment about both New York and I believe Miami being spots for him where he would just absolutely be out of control and he would go there and it would be like he didn't have a single responsibility in the world. And now he looks at those places and he can actually enjoy them because he doesn't have that same sense of like, quote, responsibility to the person he used to be. Hmm. It's very interesting. And I think that that is real, not just for him, but I, I am such a believer that places can really bring out a certain part of you if you, you know, had a certain experience there. And so I think being able to kind of come through that on the other side is a very big accomplishment, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So the opening scene is Courtney and Kim and they're on their friend Lauren's yacht. It's Lauren Reidinger. And kind of a subplot that's happening throughout this entire episode is Kim really dealing with the aftermath of her breakup from Reggie. And as we were talking about last week or whenever we did episode six and seven, nothing really happened in their relationship. They kind of just realized that it wasn't working out. The distance, them being a little bit on different pages in terms of what they wanted. But what Kim is talking to Lauren about here is how Reggie just wasn't comfortable with the lifestyle. And as they started dating, she of course got more and more famous in her own right. And he wasn't down for the level of paparazzi. And so hearing her voice that to Lauren was so interesting for me because it's weird that we're now in a spot where however many years later, she's going to have to consider that again with whoever she dates next. Like I know it's a completely different situation and the magnitude of her fame is incomparable to what it was here, but she's now going to be in that exact same predicament with whoever she dates next. Right. That's such an interesting point and on an even larger scale than it was here. I wonder with the Reggie thing that she's describing here, I am sure there was an element of it where he just hated the paparazzi and this life was not for him. My question is, I wonder if it was less about the paparazzi and more about the fact that when they started their relationship, Kim was not the famous one and he was the very famous one. And then at some point, those roles really reversed. And I wonder if that was kind of emasculating for him and he couldn't handle that and he blamed it on the paparazzi, but it was kind of more like the switch in the power dynamic. I knew when you started to say that you were curious about something that that's what it was going to be. And it's not that I think that it's an unfair point. I think that there's a lot of people, specifically a lot of men that would feel that way. Of course, I have never met Reggie Bush. This is completely just a gut feeling. I don't think that was the case. I genuinely think it was the disruption to his lifestyle. I, I think he would have celebrated Kim's fame and Kim's success if it didn't come with such an invasion of privacy. That's again, I could be totally off, but that's the way that I always felt about it. Right. I don't remember. I guess I, I mean, obviously I remember this episode, but I was so focused on the Scott element that I think I completely forgot about the details you got about the behind the scenes of the Kim and Reggie breakup. So I was kind of almost hearing this for the first time where I was like, well, I've, I had no recollection that we got, you know, any behind the scenes or insight into what happened. I mean, dating the Kardashians is a whole other beast in terms of fame. And just hear me out on this comparison for a second. Let's remove Kim from the equation, okay? Because clearly that comes with paparazzi to a level maybe previously unheard of. But let's take somebody who is very, very famous, like a Jennifer Lopez situation. I would say Jennifer Lopez is objectively more famous than a Khloe Kardashian, right? 
I still think that dating J-Lo, with the exception of being Ben Affleck, obviously, because that comes with its own set, but for your average non-famous guy or fame-adjacent guy, I think dating J-Lo, you have an easier time paparazzi-wise slash public invasion-wise than you do dating Chloe, not only because of their lifestyle and the way in which they are so constantly seen and the filming of their show, but also in terms of almost like the requirement they feel to share their lives with their fans. Totally. Because the thing with J-Lo also is that the paparazzi are entirely on her terms. They show up where she wants them to show up, whatever place she is at, they are there. If she calls them, they are there. And if she doesn't want to be around them, she knows exactly what to do and where to go that she doesn't have to deal with that. And it's not even a question. She's balanced that her entire life. The thing with the Kardashians, I mean, obviously Kim, but right, even Chloe, even Courtney, wherever they go, they will be found. It's not even, you know, there are so many celebrities where they call the paparazzi on themselves. The Kardashians don't need to. They don't need to ever do that unless they're in some odd, undisclosed location and they want the paparazzi to show up. Wherever they are, the paparazzi will follow. So it is entirely a different relationship that they have than any other celebrity does. I truly believe that. I really, really believe that that is the case. And also, you know, my earlier point about the dedication to the fans, there is something to be said for that. You know, I think, okay, if you are dating JLo, Nobody is expecting that she's going to be posting Insta stories from her bedroom, showing, you know, the inner workings of her pantry, showing your kids together. Nobody's expecting that. If you're dating Chloe, you have to know that she's going to be talking into her camera a lot of the time, most likely, or she's going to be interacting with fans on Twitter. And I just think that that also makes people feel a certain level of entitlement. And I, She's right. Everything that Kim was saying in this, even though we're 12 years later or however many years down the line, like it's still so accurate. She said in her confessional, I can't be with somebody who can't accept my life. Right. And, you know, like I said, it's very full circle now that we're revisiting this, now that Kim is single or most likely single if this divorce goes through. And, you know, we talk about this so much that, okay, well, if she's not dating someone equally as famous, they need to be fame adjacent. They need to be comfortable with it. The best example that I could possibly think of is Rich Paul, but he's dating Adele. It is a really great example. But even then with that level of paparazzi, he wouldn't even be used to that. Even Adele doesn't have that. Adele comes out of hiding for her album and she gets to be seen where she wants to be seen. And other than that, she is hidden away and protected and living her life the way she intends to. It is really difficult to find somebody that would be able to handle the level of paparazzi that Kim is accustomed to because it is constant and it is always and it is a circus no matter where she goes. And Kim's also not the type of person that wants to hide out. Obviously, she has that gorgeous house on this insane compound and she could spend all of her time there if she wanted to. But Kim likes to go out and see and be seen. That is what she does best. And so... When you're dating Kim, it's not just that you're dating a person who attracts a level of media attention previously unheard of. You're dating somebody who's okay with that fact. Right. And also the other thing about Kim is that it's not just that she's okay to be seen, but most of the time when she is seen, she wants it to be a production. I'm not saying she's not down to be seen in joggers and a sweatshirt and no makeup because she is. But like, I just want to talk about the SNL thing, for example. All of the photos of Kim getting ready for SNL were taken with the exception of the ones that were happening in 30 Rock. Every single photo was taken from leaving 
the door of the Ritz and getting into her block Escalade. We have done that exact walk on Central Park South a million times. That is maybe eight steps tops, okay? Yet every single look she wore in New York was talked about at length. Most people that would be hosting SNL and that would be there for 14-hour days would go in a sweatshirt and sweatpants. Obviously, they're going to be sitting, with the exception of the times they have to film the skits, obviously. They want to be comfortable. Kim, even if she changes into sweatpants once she gets into 30 Rock, she wants to make that a moment because she knows that's huge for her, that's huge for Balenciaga, and all of a sudden, those looks become huge, and those become her New York fashion statements. Not everybody is down for that. It's such an amazing point, and the SNL aspect of it specifically is incredible, and I agree with you so much. The thing about Kim that I personally love, and I think is the reason that a lot of people love her without even realizing it, is that Kim never complains about her fame. The rest of the family can't say the same. They've all had their moments of like, oh, the paparazzi are annoying, or oh, I don't want to have to do this. They've all said it, every single one of them. But again, they kind of went along for the ride and Kim was the pioneer in this. And because of that fact where Kim has made it her life goal to be famous and to be as famous as possible, she has never once acted like she regretted or resented that fame. And that is the most refreshing thing that you can see in Hollywood these days, honestly. Okay. Not only do I so agree, I also on the flip side, like fully get anytime the rest of them complain about it. I never judge it. I know a lot of people do. I know a lot of people have the attitude of like, you asked for this. Your fame is the very reason that you have this level of financial freedom. Like we don't feel bad for you. And if I so respect that take, I personally, it scares me the idea of like that constant attention so much that I still kind of get it when they complain about it. But you're right. There is something about Kim just accepting it wholeheartedly and not only accepting it like reluctantly, being so excited about it and almost feeling as though it's her paying her dues, like continuing to pay her dues. And what do we always say? She's the first one to admit that she went to the Paris Hilton school of treating your fans. She will stop for a photo anywhere. She will make that fan feel special if she has the opportunity to. And and by opportunity, I mean, if it's a safe enough environment where she can stop. And that is something that just does not go unnoticed or unacknowledged with the people that support her. You know, it's like she treats fame like she's never gotten used to it. Right. In okay, I'm going to expand on that point. Do you think that this is fair to say? It's as though she's treated fame like she's never gotten used to it in the best ways. And then the flip side of that is... In some ways, it's like she's fucking had this her entire life and she knows how to play it effortlessly. Exactly. Like, it, it to be famous still excites her. Right. Ah, oh, I fucking love her. Like, seriously. No, I'm, I, I really think, you know, it's funny, Julie. When we used to be interviewed, like, let's say two years ago, and we would be on a podcast or we'd be doing an interview with, even if it was a, a written thing, and people would say, who's your dream podcast guest? And I, a lot of the times would say Kim, but I would tee it up by being like, well, I know some people wouldn't understand this, but probably Kim Kardashian. I'm done with that. She does not need any sort of preface. Like I can't even, I'm actually embarrassed that I would even say that. Like the fact that I would feel embarrassed or the need to defend my decision that if I had one podcast guest, it would be Kim. It would wholeheartedly be Kim Kardashian and not even to ask her the Kardashian type questions, literally just to appreciate and recognize her as the, having the impact on culture that she has had. I fucking love this woman. I could not fucking agree more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so the weather is finally getting a little warmer. 
And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So the first real scene is Kim and Courtney walk into the apartment. They have Mason. He's sleeping and they open the doors and it smells like weed, which at the time, you know, this was, let's say 12 or so years ago. I don't think weed was then what it is now, first of all. And second of all, given everything going on with Scott, they were not expecting that to be the case. And this is really when shit hits the fan. Courtney goes into the room, finds Scott asleep confronts him, asking if his friends were smoking weed. Keep in mind, we're coming off of the episode last week where she directly asked him if him and his friends drank Kim's wine, which he denied, and then she later found the bottle. So his track record is already completely fucked here. And Courtney goes in. Kim is holding Mason. She hears a lot of loud noises. Scott like gets up from bed, and Courtney walks out, and she's like, let's get out of here. And they basically, I don't want to say run out, but they leave in a hurry because... Courtney is so appalled by Scott's general demeanor. And this is when Scott goes into the bathroom. He's wearing, you guys know the famous scene, boxers, no shirt, punches the mirror. And you hear the producer say to one another, like, shit, I just think he really hurt his hand. There's blood everywhere. And it was honestly as intense as I remembered it to be. If not more. If not more. Not, you want to know what it was though for me? I don't know how you felt about this. It wasn't him actually punching the mirror that felt like that big of a deal. It was the palpable fear and shock in Courtney's face. Yeah. Like when she said, let's get out of here, and you could hear kind of the rustling before and you heard furniture or what sounded like furniture banging, it was just the lead up to the punching of the mirror that made that mirror punch so intense. And honestly, Courtney put up with a lot of shit with Scott. That was the, even Vegas, even Vegas, as bad as that was, this scene was the first time that I saw Courtney actually be worried, I felt like. Right, right. Well, because as she explains to Kim in the car when they're on their way to Lauren's, they're going back there. And she says, quote, I just don't get how someone could be that crazy. Like the look in his eye and how he jumped out of bed and threw the covers and then grabbed my arm and I literally slapped him across the face. And they're both really scared. And like, you know, 
listen, do I think that Scott would have ever physically hurt Courtney? No, I truly do not believe that he ever would and never has. And they've never spoken about that. It's never been in the orbit of conversation. All of the issues with him have been his behavior and a lot of his behavior being so self-destructive. We've never heard of any sort of domestic abuse. And I truly do not believe that that ever happened. That being said, when you are a woman, specifically Courtney, she's five foot, you know, there is a very big power imbalance physically. And it is impossible, especially when you're dealing with somebody who is this drunk and this out of character to not have that fear of physical safety. I think that it is just something that naturally happens. Even if you have never been in a situation where that's been the case, I think that you're always acutely aware of it as a woman. And it just, for me, at least that's what I was thinking. No, you're 100% right. And this is when Scott's addiction really comes into play because, you know, Scott sober and Scott being the person that Courtney fell in love with is not the type of person that Courtney felt like she had to fear in any way, shape, or form. Sure, he's charismatic and manipulative to a point, and he does things that aren't always so great. But as a sober person, that is nothing that Courtney ever seemed like she had to fear. But when he hits that point where he is drunk enough and not sober and possibly on other drugs, that's not a person that she recognizes. And she talks about like the anger in his eyes. Like it is like we said with the Vegas episode, it's like he got possessed. So when you're in a situation and you feel like you don't recognize the person in front of you, that's when that fear really comes into play. Oh, totally. And that's what was happening here. And you see her, you know, how she's voicing it with Kim and also not that I ever thought that this would stop Courtney from actually voicing how she felt, but you know the phenomenon we talk about a lot of like, you don't want to tell your mom when you had a fight with a friend because then she's forever written off in your mom's eyes, you know? Right, of course. I was really glad to see that Courtney, even knowing Kim and the rest of the family's feelings on Scott, was not downplaying her reaction to that moment just because she didn't want Kim to write him off for good. Like she was genuinely terrified and she was genuinely so pissed and she was showing that to Kim. And I'm so glad she did that because she needed to do that in order for Kim to support her in the way that she did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, also Kim being there, it was one of those situations where it's like, I couldn't hide my feelings on this if I wanted to. Had Kim not been there to witness that, maybe it would have been related a little differently, but it was impossible to ignore or change the events of what had happened. Yeah, no, completely. And also, you know, I think out of any of them, Kim is definitely the best person in that situation, as she always has her superpowers being calm. But kind of going back to the original conversation about their level of fame, one of Kim's first reactions was like, the last thing Courtney needs is for the paparazzi to find out about this, which is one of the reasons that they're going to Lauren's house or yacht or wherever they went. And it's crazy that in the midst of this entire thing, the paparazzi was a very legitimate concern on Kim's mind, rightfully so. But like a few seasons ago, that would never have been the case. I was just going to say, possibly even one season prior, it wouldn't have been the case. Yeah. And at this point, they flash to Scott in the emergency room. He's on the phone with his friend. He's saying, you know, I have to switch my life around. I remember I grabbed Courtney and then she smacked me in the face. I get it. I'm not the perfect guy. Okay. So Courtney and Kim go back to the apartment. They don't know what they're walking into. They don't know if Scott's there. Kim goes into the bathroom and she sees the blood and the broken mirror. And they both kind of come to the conclusion that like, this is not an environment that is at all suitable for Mason. You know, yes, for them and what he is doing with Courtney is not okay, but specifically now that there's a child in the equation, this is not going to work. And so Courtney basically says, like, I'm not going to see Scott until he gets his shit together. 
So a little bit later on, this is to me, one of the most memorable scenes in all of Kardashians. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. Kim and Courtney are sitting on the couch with Courtney is with her Blackberry. And she says to Kim, you know, he's been texting me. Kim's like saying what? And she's saying, you know, Scott is texting her. Please call me doll. I know what I put you through. It's not fair. I need to make a change. I hope you understand what I've been doing lately is trying to make you proud of me. Da, 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 da. And Kim says to Courtney, how many times can you have the same problem? Go to rehab, get some help. Courtney starts crying. Kim starts crying. And what Kim is saying to Courtney is like, there is a reason that mom and the rest of the family doesn't like him. It's not just because of his job situation. There's something within him that we are all taking issue with. And that's one of the first times that she has said that because that's you know a comment on someone's character. That's not just a comment on their behavior. Right. And I think that was kind of what everyone was beating around the bush on in terms of Scott. Like they were looking for more concrete examples to present Courtney with for reasons they didn't like him because it felt like if she can look at this real example and understand that, then, you know, we don't have to throw out the, you know what, we just don't like him as a person or we just don't trust him as a person, which is kind of a hard thing to grasp onto. You really are looking for facts when you're in a situation like that. And I think this was the first time, not only that it was presented like that, but where Courtney really understood what that meant and why they felt that way. Right. And the other thing that Courtney is saying is like, it's not just about him anymore. It's about Mason and I can't let him be around that. And she says, it's not the role model that I want my son to be around. Some fucking drunk douchebag who runs around at nightclubs till 6am and he's just ridiculous. I'm texting him at 4am. What are you doing? And he's like, I'm making business deals. Do you think I'm a fucking moron? Which this is also kind of like the underlying plot of all of this was Scott was really trying to sell Courtney on the fact that part of his partying ways were career focused. And in order to make the deals he needed to make, he needed to be out late. And this is the crowd that he was working in. And this is how he was going to you know, make a living for their family. And she's starting to realize, not that there's no legitimacy to that, not that he can't make money in this field, but clearly for somebody with his tendencies, it's just not sustainable. Right. There's any other job that he could have besides this one. And so this is when she calls Scott and, you know, he's very apologetic. And listen, you and I talk about this constantly, Julie. In the past, his apologies have worked for him beautifully. He's gotten it down to a science. He has yet to be in a situation where a heartfelt, thoughtful, lengthy apology to Courtney hasn't done the trick. So I think that he was expecting this time would be no different. Right. Especially because Scott knows exactly what to say to make himself somehow end up as the victim or gain that sympathy from somebody else. And this time, especially with Mason involved, it just wasn't going to play out like that. No, I mean, Courtney says the line, which is absolutely the most powerful and the most representative of her feelings in this entire situation, which is, I obviously love you, but I love Mason more than I love you. And that's what it is. It's not about you anymore. My life is different. I can't do this shit. Which you guys know exactly this scene, like it is so ingrained in my mind. She's in that black shirt. She's crying. She's the Blackberry. And Scott's response is, okay, I get it. Until it's fixed, I won't bother you. Okay. And she says, yeah. Her saying, I love Mason more than I love you is one of those lines that have stuck with me. And I can remember clear as day watching it the first time. Me too. And I think it's because that was it. She did not need to say anything else. That one line is the most powerful thing she could ever say to illustrate her feelings on the situation. Absolutely. 
And also because keep in mind, up until this point, Scott was the most important thing to her. Like, not that she was choosing him over her family, because it's not like in dating him, she was losing them, but she was choosing him over the blessings of her family. And so for Scott also, this is the first time where there's somebody else that's standing in the way that she's going to choose over him, because up until this point, she hasn't done that. There was also a piece of Courtney that was choosing Scott over herself. She knew better than this consistently. She knew better than what she was putting herself in, in a position with him. And this was the first time with Mason where it was like, wow, I can see clearly what it's like to put somebody else in this position. And I may not be able to see it for myself and see the harm that I'm doing to myself, but I can certainly see the harm that I'm doing to my child because I love him that much. And that was the most amount of clarity she could ever have. Completely. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So Scott checks into a hotel and he's saying in his confessional, you know, I feel like a complete and utter failure. He thinks he's in the worst position he's ever been in with Courtney. And, you know, okay, to give credit where credit is due, he's at the very least remorseful. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I I think it's totally fair because I think the thing with Scott is that it's those two personalities always at play. It's the one that fucks up and the one that feels general remorse. Just the issue is they're in the exact same body and the exact same brain and they work together at the same time. And that was Scott's problem always is that he always did something wrong and then always woke up in the morning and genuinely wanted to be a better person and genuinely wanted to be a better version of himself and wanted to do it. And he just, for the longest time, couldn't do it. No, he couldn't. And it was frustrating to him, of course, but I... Nothing could compare to the frustration Courtney felt. No, absolutely. But that's how you get into a pattern of like the self-loathing where it's like, I fuck up. I hate myself the next day for it. I can't fix it in the way that I want it to. So I do something that puts me in a bad situation again. And then I continue that cycle. Exactly. So to kind of shift gears for a second, Jonathan is in town. He's staying at the Fountain Blue and Kim goes over there and they're just kind of, you know, catching up. She's talking about the breakup from Reggie and she's saying, and I quote, you know, I've been with Reggie since before any of this exciting stuff happened for me. And I don't know what it's like to be with someone else. I don't know. It's just weird. I'm not a good dater. I hate dating. Jonathan says, people are standing and taking numbers to be your boyfriend. You're like the hottest girl in the entire world right now. Kim, 
If Reggie couldn't take my life, I mean, the thing that he hated, he hated paparazzi. I realized that if someone doesn't accept my life, then I can't accept them. I just really want someone to love me for me. And I just don't think I'll find that. Not in this life that I have. And it's so funny because Jonathan is looking at her from the perspective of somebody who's her best friend, loves her more than anything, thinks that she quite literally could get anybody, which she could at this moment and and of course now. And he's saying like, I don't understand why you're being so insecure about this. I've never seen you like this. And in her confessional, she says, honestly, my greatest fear is that I'll never find anyone that will really accept my life. And she's saying, you know, I used to have this vision, like, okay, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be married with one kid. I'll be pregnant with another. And Jonathan says, which points where points are due. I liked this quote, but also, did you have a vision that you were literally going to be a full superstar making lots and lots of money and everyone in the entire world drooling over you? I don't know if you had the vision when you were thinking about the kid, but it's time to revise it. It's fine. We still have years to get you hitched and have the kids. And I really appreciated that perspective shift. Oh, I did too. I thought Jonathan was great in this moment. And it's so true what Jonathan was saying in the sense of like, it's crazy to look at somebody like him who has this honestly relatable mindset of like, especially as a woman being like, okay, I want to be married at this age and I want to have kids at this age. And this is how I see my life going. And even though all these amazing things are happening around her that she didn't expect, she was still so fixated on this timeline she had created in her head. And for Jonathan to kind of shake her for a moment and be like, listen, you make plans, but plans change. And the plans that you have going on right now are things that you never in your wildest dreams would have expected. Like, you know, you always expected that you would get married and have kids. Obviously, they're going to happen if the craziest thing that could happen to a person is going to happen. The ordinary events are going to happen too. Right. And obviously, with this particular situation, like Kim's circumstance is unique to her in the sense that, you know, her boyfriend and her broke up partially because he couldn't take the paparazzi and she's experiencing superstardom and it's throwing off her timeline. Like that is unique. But the general idea that people get into these rather rigid mindsets because really of something that they've created is so common. I, As I'm talking about it, I'm thinking of a specific friend that I have that really kind of screwed themselves with this exact thinking. And it's only until you reframe that where I think your world kind of opens up and you realize like, why am I putting myself on this track that nobody else is putting me on other than myself? Right, exactly. And again, as we always talk about, you see the direct pipeline of how Chris Humphreys happened and what her mindset was at the time that made her so desperate to move on to that next step in her life without really thinking it through. And I have to say, this whole conversation made me actually really sad about Kanye and the end of her marriage because what she's describing, Kanye fit into that so well. And Kanye really as an entity was so perfect for what she wanted as a relationship in the sense of like, He knew her and loved her before she was famous. So she didn't have to worry about the element of fame where it's like, well, do they love me for me or do they love me because I'm Kim Kardashian? Like he loved her before she, you know, blew up. And that was kind of always a thing where he had asked about her years and years prior. But also he was probably the most equipped person to deal with this type of lifestyle and deal with paparazzi and deal with the mass, mass, mass influx of public attention. So Obviously, I don't wish that Kim would go back to him or I don't wish that the divorce wouldn't go through. But had everything stayed on the track that you kind of thought it was going to in your mind with Kanye, 
it made so much sense them together. Oh, beyond so. And also, not only did he not mind the fame because he had it way before her and he was just as famous, he fucking loved it. Kanye loved creating a spectacle wherever he went. He loved having a lot of things that he did be analyzed and made a production out of, you know? And so it was a perfect pairing in that sense. Right. And he loved being Kim Kardashian's husband as well, which is also really difficult to find in the sense of how do you find someone that loves fame that much in it of themselves and also isn't intimidated by your fame. Right, right. Anyway, so next scene, Courtney and Mason are at the apartment and Scott calls, he's getting the surgery on his hand and he ideally wants her to be there. He doesn't want her to feel guilty. He says a line like, no pressure, but I'd love for you to be there. And she's honest with him. Like she really just doesn't know if it's a smart thing for her to do. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. Next scene, we, I loved this by the way. (laughs) Me too. There's this whole scene devoted to the fact that Kim is getting a Maserati flown in specifically for her. She's driving around Miami. Everyone's yelling at her like in the best way possible. Like, Kim Kardashian, we love you. The paparazzi are following her. And she says in her confessional, sometimes I forget how blessed I really am and how fun my career really is. I know my life might not be the right fit for everyone, but I'm still young and I have a lot to appreciate. I'll find the right person for me. When the time is right, the perfect person will come along. And it was such a beautiful full circle moment where she went to, in the beginning, almost this point of self-loathing and feeling like she was never going to find someone. And then having this real perspective shift of like, I love what I created and the right person is going to be down for this. Right. Exactly. And I guess now we're back in a situation where she still has to find that. Yeah. Also, let us not forget, this is contrasted directly with her getting that Bentley in, was that season one? Yeah. Yeah, her getting the Bentley in season one and having that be the biggest deal ever. And now she's this Maserati flown in and it's two minutes of counter time. Exactly. Right. So next scene, Scott's going in for surgery and we're really just seeing here where he's at in his mental state. He recognizes things are not going well. And the next scene, Courtney was still deciding whether or not she was going to go and she made the decision that she was. So when Kim gets back to the apartment, Courtney is getting ready to leave. And Kim is not a fan of this at all. And Courtney's trying to make the argument of like, he has nobody else here. He doesn't have you know all these friends in Miami like we do. He's going under surgery. I want to be there for him. He wants to see Mason. And Kim in her confessional is saying like, Scott's never going to change if Courtney just keeps on taking him back. And so they have this whole back and forth. They literally drive there. They get to the hospital and Kim eventually talks Courtney out of going, which I forgot that that happened. When Kim says calmness is her superpower, this is exactly what she's talking about. Had Chloe been in this situation, Chloe would have been yelling and Chloe would have cared just as much and been trying to accomplish the same goal and protect Courtney in the same way. It's just she would have been so passionate and so heated about it that Courtney would have tried to defy her anyway, just for the sake of, you know, being yelled at. Him handles the situation so perfectly is so calm with Courtney the entire time, lays it all out, tells her exactly what she thinks, helps Courtney come to that realization kind of on her own and gives her that support when she chooses to drive away. Like Kim's calmness is not only her own superpower, but that's the benefit to everybody around her. Right. And I think that the biggest contrast between what would have happened in a hypothetical world that Chloe was here was when Kim said to Courtney, if you ultimately want a relationship with him and you want what's best for you and Mason and him, you won't go in there, which was more of a long-term thinking. It wasn't like, fuck this guy, even though that's what she was thinking. It was more like, 
if you want to consider a potential future with him, these are the steps that you need to take. And that I think was a much more effective argument in terms of getting Courtney to abide by what Kim thought. Right. Because Chloe in that situation would have just said, you need to break up with him. You need to never see him again. You need to never talk to him again. This is a hundred percent done never again. And Kim presented her with something that she felt like was logical and not definitive. Totally. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. So Scott is now in the car after surgery and he's not pleased, which I understand, although he really just does not have a leg to stand on here. And basically Scott says, I guess you're in a different place in your life than I am. Thanks for being there today. It was really a pleasure. She goes, I was there for you as much as I can be. He goes, well, it doesn't seem like shit to me. She said, well, I'm trying. He goes, yeah, we'll try harder. And he hangs up on her, which the only thing I have to say to that is the motherfucking audacity. I mean, the motherfucking audacity, considering two scenes ago, he called her, asked her to come to the hospital and said, if you choose not to come, I understand. And I don't want you to feel guilty for that decision. And I won't pressure you. And I won't pressure you. And Courtney makes an amazing point to him on the phone, which I was so glad she said, where he says, you know, I don't have anybody here. I don't have friends and family here like you do. And she says to him, you go out with people every night. Why can't you call one of them? And that was the point where I was like thinking it the entire episode where I was like, Yes, that is exactly it. You cannot throw away like the constants in your life for people to party with and then realize that you have nobody. And you know something? Not that I ever think that Courtney wants Scott to feel alone. I genuinely don't believe she gets enjoyment out of that. However, there is something incredibly validating when you recognize that the person recognizes that the people you've been telling him this entire time are not shit, are not shit. Right. It's like, it's one thing to acknowledge that the decisions you make are bad. It's a whole other thing when you get yourself into a situation where it's also like, wow, I am just choosing the wrong people all around. Right. And you really have that realization. Right. Anyway, so, you know, it ends with Kim leaving Miami and it's very sweet. She basically says like, I called Chloe. She's on her way. Courtney will not be alone, which They have their issues, but at the end of the day, they stand together, specifically the three of them. And I thought it was a really beautiful ending to an otherwise traumatic episode. Oh my God. It's next week equally as traumatic because I don't know if I can go through this again. I don't know. I it's the most the craziest thing about us, like potentially the stupidest thing is the fact that we don't just pre-record all of these. I still wouldn't trade it because it's so much more fun to be in the moment, but like of course, your average person that has a podcast would have watched it, but we like having our immediate reaction. So I don't know what happened next week. 
by the way, I after this episode, I would have needed a week's break in between. Yeah. It was too much for me. It was a lot. It was a lot. Anything else that you want to mention? I think that's it, kid. I think so too. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. And I love, I always say like, thank you. I mean, I say thank you about after every episode, but specifically the Kardashian ones, because it's like, these are the people that really get it. Like these are the people that really think in the way that we think, you know what I mean? Like they get this shit. They care about the little details. If you're listening to this episode, you're down to recap fucking Courtney and Chloe take Miami season two, episode eight. You want to relive Scott punching the mirror. You came to the right place and we are so lucky we have you. So lucky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Well, Isabel and I will see you for Bravo and then we will see you next week.